Danita Monique Smith was a 25-year-old with a passion for photography and big plans. She excelled in school, was loved by all her friends, and was planning a beautiful wedding. This all comes to an end one day when she is killed execution style in her own apartment complex. What would seem like a random attack would turn out to be a very calculated result of a toxic love affair. We are your hosts, Helen Allen and Sherry Ferreira. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. So Danita began her passion for photography at a really young age, and her mother recalls that she always loved the camera. The camera was her friend, and the camera was her way of expressing herself. Yeah, so she worked as a photojournalist at the student newspaper um, at North Carolina Central Central University in Durham, North Carolina. A mouthful, for sure, (laughs) for anyone who goes there. I know, I'm so sorry you have to tell people that. That's really hard to say. Um... Or I'm stupid, I can't tell. (laughs) Um, Danita was very smart and loved school. And she wanted to, like, go back and get her doctrine. She had big plans. She was about to be married. And she wanted kids. Um, She won also a New York Times fellowship. Um, She was just, like, really hardworking and smart. She goes to college in, like I said, Durham, which is 50 miles away from Greensboro. That doesn't sound necessary to say now, but it is. She was a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha, a sorority on campus. Uh, She was a saxophonist in the sound machine, the marching band, I guess was called the sound machine. It was at her school. She was very active, if you couldn't tell already. And she's also a member of the campus newspaper called the Campus Echo. Um, And she's a graduate of the New York Times Journalism Institute. And basically, like, everybody who spoke about her was obsessed with her, like, her best friend, obviously, her best friend is loyal, so she yeah. would say this, but I think <laughs> just everybody also agreed. She kind of had no enemies. She was really well-liked and, like, respected by people. They just knew she was, like, a really hardworking, down-to-earth individual. Yeah, for sure. Danita would meet Jermir Stroud while she was in college, and they dated for several years, and he proposed, so things were going well. He ended up going on to be a police officer, and at the time of her death, he was a police officer in Greensboro for about four years. Right, and their relationship, from what we know, was very good. Like, she spoke very highly of him to her best friend, Um, saying, like, things like he's gentlemanly, he's intelligent, he's active, he's kind. Like, she only really had good things to tell her. And obviously, like, if you knew bad stuff about your boyfriend, the person that knows about it is your best friend. So I just feel like if if Danita thought poorly of her relationship, her and her best friend did have the type of bond where, like, her best friend would know that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and she would express that. Exactly. So essentially, it seemed that he was the perfect guy for her, and he had just like kind of all the good qualities that really anyone looks for in a partner. Um, It was kind of adorable because in the Dateline episode, her mom kind of goes on to like, she just basically goes off about him. Like, she's like, I did not want to like him. (laughs) She's She's so protective of Danita. It's adorable. It's so cute. She's like, I did not want to like him at first. Like, she basically 
tried everything in the books. And she literally says, like, I knew what he would be getting. Like, she loves her daughter so much and she knows she's amazing. But I didn't know what she would be getting. And it's just like, yeah, Yeah. that's so true. Because, like, every mom's fear is to, like, not know if this guy is going to treat her daughter well. And, like, she literally says at one point, like, okay, this is precious cargo about her daughter and it's just adorable. Yeah, I'm like, more than what my mom would ever do. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I love how protective she is, you know? She's so cute. But, and also, um, like we had said, they were engaged to be married and Danita's mom was helping plan it because eventually, even though her guards were very up with Jameer, they just kind of eventually clicked and she did end up really liking him for her daughter. So this brings us to January 4th, 2007. Now, Danita lived at Campus Crossings, which was an on-campus apartment, and she had a busy day ahead of her. She had just got back from winter break, and she was just ready to get started. Around 10 a.m., a student who lived in the complex called 911. Now, the guy said a girl was at the bottom of the stairs with her head, quote, busted up and blood everywhere. The girl was unresponsive, and he believed that she fell. When the operator allowed him to check her ID, he confirmed that the girl was Danita. So my thing is, uh, and honestly, like, this is kind of jumping the gun a little bit, um, but we do, I mean, we said it at the beginning of the episode, yeah. so nobody's going to be like, what? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, she was killed execution style. So I'm just like, I don't know why he thought she fell. I mean, I get that she was at the bottom of stairs. So like anyone who glanced at it would be like, oh, she fell. But like he straight up goes into her pocket and checks her ID and he couldn't tell that she was shot and didn't fall. Like, I mean, concrete definitely could make you like bleed if if your head hits it. But like there wouldn't be a gigantic bullet wound from hitting concrete. Yeah. And just seeing the source just like especially in the back and not the front if she fell it would mostly be on her face Mm -hmm. but why would it be in the back of her head yeah it was just just very confusing and i'm like not here to judge this guy because he did the right thing he called the police he checked her id whatever but i'm like and you really thought she fell yeah like my (laughs) i mean he was probably like listen i just found this girl i'm not pointing any fingers (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't know she's just there he's like listen i'm just doing the right thing this is not my problem truly but found this girl and I'll do what I need to do to get out of this. I mean, he did what he had to do. Yeah. So the police were notified and so were Danita's parents. And at this point, they are the belief that Danita had only fallen and she was unresponsive. Now, Danita's mom lived in Charlotte, which is three hours away. So she called Jameer, her fiance, that lived closer to Danita's college. And she just wanted him to be present at the scene and just figure out what's going on. So first, police arrive on the scene, and they note that blood is obviously coming from Danita's head. Her purse, water bottle, lipstick, wallet, and keys are all scattered on the staircase. But they can't, for some reason, I do not understand this for the life of me, and I'm not trying to judge because, listen, I'm not a first responder, and I'm also not the person that called the police. But they couldn't figure out where was the source... I'm so mad I can't even speak English. No. They could not figure out where the source of her injury is. And I'm like, listen, you guys, she was shot in the back of the head. Like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that that's just not like, hey, I fell down the stairs. But I guess it was like so 
entangled in her hair maybe yeah i can like, imagine maybe I it guess... was like matted in the back because of all the blood that was spilling out right but... which i get that but i mean there is a big difference between like this girl hit her head and it's bleeding and this girl has been shot but who am i again yeah um first responders don't come for me as if one first responder <laughs> is listening to this, to this. <laughs> they're like unsubscribe yeah <laughs> Anyway, so um, it appeared as if there was a struggle, um, but the police were able to rule out robbery because um, there was still money in her wallet. So they knew that nothing got taken from her. Jameer arrives with a blank expression. And at this point, Danita's best friend has also been notified. Her name's Edith Kearns. And she sees that Jameer, like, just has this calm and cool expression, which... To me, it's just like, you can't really judge how a person's going to deal. He is a police officer. So I can imagine he has training to not react to this, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can't really predict how someone's going to react to something like this happening. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, uh, he's just, it's so crazy that like, so many podcasters and just like people like, honestly, like even in like the Dateline episode and in shows that cover true crime cases, they're always like, oh, but everybody grieves differently. Like, don't judge a person based on how they behaved. But this guy was yeah. sketchy. So, like, why and give the like, disclaimer in the okay. first place? Yeah, they're always like, just a disclaimer. We're not here to judge. And then they're like, but this guy was sketchy. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, so you got to pick a side. Because, like, I personally am not here to make an assumption based on how anybody finds their future wife that like I just he is now seeing this person that he thought he was gonna spend the rest of his life with at the bottom of these stairs dead so maybe his first thing isn't like how is this gonna come off to other people he's first thinking like holy shit and he has to deal with it and he doesn't know how and that's fine for me like okay I know it is always the boyfriend or the husband or whoever (laughs) let's go after him but let's go after him with facts not just his little behavior of like his first initial shock yeah it's just ridiculous I hate it yeah because it's like how are you gonna tell someone how to grieve you know it's just it's so bizarre because also most of the people who are like he didn't act correctly it's like has this ever happened to you yeah how did you act and it's oh it didn't happen to you huh (laughs) Interesting. Sure. They continue to investigate and the police do discover the source of the injury was a single gunshot directly in the back of her head. And they find out she is, in fact, dead. Now, there is no doubt in the investigator's mind that this was deliberate because the shot was at point blank range, which basically means the gun had to have been held pretty close to the back of her head. Mm hmm. Which is why I'm like, why didn't they know she was shot in the first place? Yeah, I'm like, like if, huh? Anyway, I could go off about yeah. that this whole episode, and yeah. I probably will for most of it, but anyway. <laughs> so the police believe whoever shot her had to have been on the second floor waiting for Danita to, like, come down the stairs of her apartment, which was on the third floor. So she literally had to pass by them, and this would give the killer the chance to strike. Right. Um, So like we said, Jameer was obviously a person of interest early on because it is always the significant other. Um, But he right off the bat denied any involvement and claimed to have been home sleeping because he had just gotten off a night shift the day before. Like, here's the thing. That 
is a fully valid alibi, except for the fact that nobody's watching him sleep. But, like, yeah, yeah, he did have a night shift. They verified that, and it's like, I don't know. Like, he had to have been, like, a really brazen guy to, like, get off a night shift and decide, like, that's when he's going to do it. Yeah, out of all opportunities. it wouldn't have been. And also, like, not for nothing. I'm not, like, rushing to his side. But he is a police officer. He is, like, somebody who hears about alibis all day long. Like, I don't really think that he would go out of his way to commit a murder for the first time ever and not get himself a solid alibi. Yeah. It's almost, like, less sketchy to me that he doesn't have a credible alibi. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I feel like he would make sure that someone saw him to vouch for him. You know when people in movies are like, hey, like, you saw me here, huh? Yeah. Like, like, it would almost be like that because... He would be, like, trying to solidify his alibi. But since he doesn't really have a rock-solid one, I'm like, so this doesn't seem like he planned this. As as yeah. a person who has a background in being a police officer. You of know? course. So, anyway. At this point, the police do think this is sketchy. And they don't completely rule him out. But, you know, it like, obviously, that's just a hard alibi to corroborate. Um, so the police do um, question him. But then after he gives this alibi, they just kind of let him go because they don't really have anything of any substance. Yeah. So the police continue their investigation. And two hours later, they discover that another 911 call was made at 8.10 a.m. And this was before the student reported Danita's body. And it was around the exact time Danita would have been shot. Mm -hmm. The first call was made by Michael Hedgepath, and he was a maintenance man for the building. He notes that after he heard the shots, he saw a woman who was 5'10", hair in a ponytail, and she had these symbols on her clothes, and he, like, had a chance to talk to her, and she claimed that she also lived in the building. Right, and the symbols that he was talking about, he said they were, like, patches, like, almost like it was... Like, I'm picturing, like, a Girl Scout patch, but, like, yeah. honestly, like, <laughs> that's, like, the only clothing I've ever worn with patches. Yeah, but same. Like, on her sleeve or, like, you know, on the front of the collar or whatever. So, like, he's saying, like, yeah, it was a very significant shirt that yeah. she was wearing. Enough for him to remember, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says that the woman was running from the back of the apartment to the front, and he described this as very unusual, seeing as there's a more convenient way to exit to the parking lot. Right. Like, that was so weird. So, I guess, like, he literally said, like, she must have been parked in the front of the apartment complex, but she was running from, like, the back entrance to the front, which is almost like, you dumbass. Yeah. (laughs) Are you going to claim you live there, but take the longest route? also, like... I don't know, like, plain sight, idiot. Yeah. Because, like, she's fully, like, just now committed a murder, and she's going to take the long Spoiler way. alert. I mean. <laughs> yeah, come on. There's a dead girl on the ground. Yeah. But, like, she's going to take the long way to risk being seen by as many possible people instead of just being like, da-da-da-da, going to my car. <laughs> like, I don't know why she wouldn't just try that first. Yeah, she... Like, Anyway, she may as well have had like a blow horn and been like, it was me. Yeah, with like a sign written. Like, we just heard the gunshots and now you're running in a weird direction. It's her. It's <laughs> the maintenance man, Hedgepath, said that she hopped in her Burgundy Ford Explorer and was ready to drive off. Now, he also notes that the woman was hysterical and moving quickly and sort of the way 
she was acting, it appeared to be more of someone who witnessed something horrific than someone who actually committed the crime. He follows her and like pulls up to her car because she hasn't fully left for whatever yeah. reason. It's and he's like, beep, beep, you have point. some questions to like explain. Roll down your window. Yeah. And at this point, he's like, like you said, he's literally not thinking that she just committed the crime, which like I would have been like, that she did it. Our paranoid but asses. <laughs> just like, it was you. I know. Like, stay here. Stay here. I'm calling the police. Um, so yeah, he literally doesn't think she did it. He's just like, he goes over to her and he's like, hey, did you hear that too? Like yeah. he's stressed. And, he, and this poor like, guy. But also good on him to, like, pull up beside her and be like, hey, mm-hmm. can you answer? And, like, and he literally is like, hey, like, did you hear that too? And she says, like, that she heard it. And so, but then he, she's being sketchy as hell. So he's like, hey, why are you so nervous? And she's like, you heard the shot. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, and I'm talking. I'm sure we both did. Let's figure it out. So <laughs> he's, like, had enough of it. And he's like, okay, let's call 911. And she just takes off. Like, fully books it. Yeah. Which like, that's not also ringing any alarm bells. Not at all. Okay. Fine. So at this point, the police are like, okay, we have this car and our only suspect is Jameer. So they confront him about the vehicle and they're just basically like, we had this call of a witness um, and they say like the type of car and at this point, I guess, like, also he had left the station because, like I said, they let him go after he gave his alibi. Um, but yeah. they just kind of wanted to, like, look into it more since, obviously, Jameer is, like, the closest person in her life. They're like, would she have known anybody with this car? And he's like, oh, hell no. <laughs> he fully says, oh, my God, I'm turning around now. And immediately he just, like, does a The quickest U-turn you would have yeah. ever seen. And... He basically says, like, I know exactly who that is. And it ends up being a woman named Shannon Crawley. They pull Jameer in for more questions and ask about his involvement with Shannon, what he knows about her. And he admits to this affair that he had with her. He says Shannon and Danita never met. Shannon knew about Danita, but Danita did not know about Shannon. And... Throughout all this time, Jameer kept this hidden from Danita, and all of Danita's friends come out to say that if she even had, like, an inkling of this going on, she would have been out. Mm -hmm. She would not take it. And Lester Holt makes a huge point of being like, her friend said she had too much pride. She had too much respect for herself. And it's like, okay, if someone is in (laughs) a very bad toxic relationship, it's not that they have no respect for themselves. It's just because they're in a very difficult situation that you've never been in, Lester Holt. Please. (laughs) I'm, like, talking like a woman who's been through it. Yeah. Like, I haven't. But, like, he needs to have a little bit more compassion. But I do agree in the sense that the friends are like, listen, like, that was not her. If she knew about something like that, she would put her foot down. Because you do know your own friend and you know, like, how they are in a relationship. Yeah. Jameer goes on to explain the relationship that he had with Shannon and even mentions that she got an abortion. And that's... he got her pregnant. Yeah. The relationship after that had shifted and they stopped meeting up in person, only talked on the phone, and it ended after that. Now, according to Dateline, he was openly crying during his interview and... He was now their main suspect. They had no reason to suspect Shannon of anything at this point. The police found out through more investigation 
of the crime scene that the killer left no fingerprints or DNA or any evidence at the crime scene. The autopsy revealed the bullet that killed Anita was a 38 caliber bullet. So obviously then the lead investigator goes on to question Shannon um, just because even though at this point they do think that it is Jameer, they're like, we've got to close all the doors. They're trying to be as like thorough as possible. Um, so they go on to question her at her job in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, evidently she was a model employee and had no complaints about her. And when she was questioned, she did seem like very calm. She cooperated and she admitted to when, why, and how her relationship with Jameer ended. She also noted, like, this is very important, Jameer is not capable of murder. She says she doesn't know Danita Smith and that she had never been to Durham, where Danita went to school. She also claims she does not own a gun and, quote, cannot stand guns. I'm scared of them. Shannon's alibi for that day that Danita died was that she was bringing her kids to a doctor's appointment and her supervisor basically confirms all this. Right, that she said that she was taking the day off. For yeah. Which is like, that's not really confirming it. Like, yeah. I could literally be like, um, I'm going to Jamaica and my boss would be like, she said she was going to Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> like sitting in my living room. Like, yeah. I don't... I don't know why they were like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So they look into it further, obviously. Like later. Like not even right away. Yeah. They're like, oh, cool. Yeah. She was at the doctor's. Then wait, I think Shannon seems sketchy to them later on because this guy like comes in basically as they're interviewing her and he's like, hey, you guys, I have to talk to you. (laughs) And then he comes out to say like, oh, like just so you guys know, I gave her a gun and it's the same kind of bullets like that were found on this girl so basically now they're like huh okay well she told us she doesn't like guns so was so adamant about everything because maybe she's lying to us then they look into it and the doctor's like yeah she didn't come to her appointment so i'm like yeah guys i don't know why you didn't look into this in the first place it seemed that they were just taking word of like whoever was there except going to the actual source she's a woman yeah it's always the husband. husband Uh, so this causes a conflicting stories because, like you said, based off what Shannon told them, it's the complete opposite of what this coworker is telling them. Yeah. Oh, which, by the way, I didn't even say the coworker basically gave her the gun. I'm not, he's not just like some guy giving guns to people. Yeah, he but, sold like, it to her. She, I guess, had like told him that she was in fear of her life. Um, so he sold her the gun. Um, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but. It is interesting. So she said she was in fear of her life because of Jameer to this coworker. But during her interview with the police, she's like, no, Jameer would never commit murder. And it's yeah. like, hmm, okay, so why were you so afraid of, for your life? Why would you need to buy a gun? Exactly. And I don't know if we also said this, but Shannon works as an operator slash dispatcher for the um, police department in Greensboro. Right. So, like, that's actually how she met Jameer. Um, they met each other while he was in the police academy and she was working as a 911 operator. Um, they were basically just part of the same training session, so they kind of hit it off and they were just really friends. Um, Jameer says that Shannon caught his eye and he, they, like, began talking back and forth, um, but they really just were friends at this point. 
And he was with Danita. Yeah, and he makes sure to tell Shannon that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole entire time that they were ever friends or, like, whatever, Shannon was fully aware of Danita. Um, then in 2004, they meet again through another work thing, and they exchange phone numbers. Um, and apparently then the relationship became sexual, I guess, by the end of the year. So, anyway, that it's- is, like, kind of when things go from yeah so four years after they had met which i mean this is like weird to me like learning this timeline because i'm just like at first when i was like oh he was unfaithful i was like oh it's just like a side thing that's maybe he's getting it out of his i don't know not to ever 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 say that yeah yeah but i at first when i heard it i was like oh he's just some shitty like guy who's getting it out of his system quote unquote like before getting married but then i find out like he proposed to Danita in 2007, right? Like, yeah. So, like, what in the hell? He knew this girl for se- the whole seven years he's been dating Danita, and, like, that, and he still wanted to propose. Like, I just don't, I don't know. I'm not making it's, any sense. No, but it definitely paints him in a different light. Right. Like, As I'm still not like, oh, he did it, but I'm like, this guy's a scumbag half. Like, Fully. And then in... In 2005, that's when Shannon got pregnant and had the abortion. And by January of 2006, they, like I said, had broken things off until Jameer goes to this church retreat. And it's very, he is very religious. It sounded like an AA thing to me where it's like, this, this next step, you have to apologize to everybody because it was like very... Like, um, I guess it was, like, steps to becoming better in general. Like, it was, like, a, a religious thing, obviously. But it – so they basically said, like, apologize to whoever, whoever you've wronged. Yeah. And instead so the, of apologizing oh to Danita. The first person he calls is Shannon, and they stay on the phone for 12 hours. Like, plus. he literally was like, yeah, we fell asleep on the phone together. Yeah, <laughs> and like, like you suck. <laughs> And so that's basically how the relationship picks back up again. And, and not to mention, he's like, but it never got sexual again. And it's like, yeah. but you called her for 12 hours, you freak. I don't. And you felt the need to call her before the girl that you were dating. And it's... like, apologize. <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> but three months before the murder, Shannon bought a house near where Jameer lived. And the investigators get a warrant for it. And they see that only her kids' rooms are really fully decorated, and she was sleeping on a mattress, and there was little to no furniture there. Which, like, they took as, like, oh, my God, she is stalking him. But I kind of was like... Like, so, Shannon's parents talk a lot in the Dateline episode, and they are very adamant that she did not do it. Um, But... They, like, make it a huge point to say, like, she was a very hardworking mom, and she, like, would do everything for her kids, and she worked her ass off to, like, pay for this house for them. As a single parent of two kids. She's a single parent, and, like, not for nothing, she's a 911 operator, so, like, it's not like the cash is rolling in. Yeah. Like, she probably makes a decent amount of money. She, She is able to support her family, but it's not, like... She's this woman who could, like, easily pay off a mortgage and then, like, buy tons of nice furniture. Like, she probably was just 
kind it, of out of money. Like yeah, she was and, doing the best she could. I don't, I'm not t- running to Shannon's side cause I think she did it. I'm just yeah. going to come right out and say that. <laughs> but like, I don't think that this is part of the case against her. Neither do I. I see it more as like a mother who wanted to provide for her kids first and herself last. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, it just bugs me so much when like, Cases like this are like, oh, she's a murderer. So let's talk about how she was also an indecent human. Because it's like, you know, call her what she wants. But let's talk about the fact that she's a murderer. I don't care really, like, if she just, like, didn't furnish her house. That's, like, a weird thing for me to harp on. Yeah. It (laughs) adds nothing to the investigation. It adds nothing. But anyway, so they took it as, like, uh uh-oh, she moved into an empty house near Jameer. She was stalking him. Yeah. It's... They take on that tone exactly, (laughs) where they're just trying to find anything, really. The investigators call Jameer back, and he denies all accusations of him possibly being guilty and believes that Shannon is capable of murdering someone, and she is the person that they should be looking into. As the police go more in-depth into the investigation, they find out a couple of things. So they go back to that maintenance man who made the 911 call originally, and he says that he could not ID Shannon as the driver, but confirms it was Shannon's exact car that he saw driving away. And do you remember those patches that we were talking about? Not the Girl mm-hmm. Scout ones. Yeah. The like one you would see almost no, on a uniform. Patches, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> the, Don't not you Girl Scout patches. patches. <laughs> they were like that. <laughs> patches that he saw. They confirmed it as like patches someone would have if they worked as a 911 operator. And as we know, Shannon works as a 911 operator. Mm -hmm. So they're putting things together. Yeah. And they also discover through doing more investigation and looking into Shannon now that she is a person of interest, that she clocked in at 10 a.m., which was two hours after Danita was murdered. And mind you, Shannon's job is in Greensboro, which is a good 50 miles from where Danita was murdered in her complex. And they figure out it's the equivalent to the amount of time it would take Shannon to drive there and back. So she had more than enough time. With the new discovery of Shannon lying about like where she was and all of the stuff that's contradicting to them, um, they're able to obtain a search warrant, like we said before. Um, and basically, like they also find this uniform... And there's no gun and no bullets found. So they have the uniform. They don't have any proof that she had the gun in her possession. But, you know, like the maintenance man has identified the uniform. So at this point, they're like, oh, it's her, you know. Yeah. Um, she also claims that she had never been to Durham but her cell phone pings show that she was literally there the day before. No less than 100 feet from where Danita would be found dead the next morning. So. She was definitely casing the place. Either that or I feel like maybe she was just like going to confront Danita or like maybe going to like confess to Danita. And maybe they got into some sort of like disagreement. Maybe Danita said something that pissed her off. And then she went back the next day. Because to me, I'm like. Why would she bring her phone 
If she was smart enough to not bring it the next day, if she was casing the place, wouldn't she not bring her phone the day she's casing the place too? Like, I feel like maybe she brought her phone because she didn't intend to kill Danita. And then the next day when she did, she thought, let me not bring my phone. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like, she's an idiot, but like, you know. (laughs) Yeah, no. Because it's like, you already brought your phone. Maybe wait a week. Yeah. Don't do it the exact (laughs) next day. so stupid. But anyway. So on top of that, Police check Jameer's cell phone and police radio, and it shows that he was nowhere near Durham the day before the killing. So they're like, okay, so it probably wasn't the two of them together. Yeah. And the police decide to impound her car, and they really are looking for any evidence, because at this point, everything is circumstantial. Right. And they gunshot residue or something like that. And they do look at the steering wheel and the gear shift, and they find the gunshot residue. Hell yeah. So they're like, okay, Shannon, you're sus. <laughs> you're definitely a person of interest now. And they're like, so now we can place you at the spot. People said you were wearing that outfit. Yeah. And there's gunshot residue in your car. So mm. probably it's you. Yeah. I don't know. Just a shot in the dark, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they arrest Shannon. At the time, she was staying at her sister's house with her two kids, and the lead detective said that, like, as they brought her out, she was not shocked. She seemed stoic, and she tells her sister to, like, raise the kids as if they are her own. So, to me, that's like, hey, guys, I did it, so I'm going away for a long time. Very calm. Mm -hmm. So, they end up, like, continuing um, to interviewed Jumeir anyway and like she basically like tells the police immediately after she was arrested like to look into Jumeir and she like asserts her innocence which it's like okay but like before when you were being interviewed by the police before they arrested you before you knew that you were a person of interest you were just like oh my god it's not Jumeir and now yeah. as soon as you get arrested you're like look into Jumeir yeah and it's just all throughout this investigation, she has been so contradicting in all of her stories, like right down to her alibi. So it's not looking good for her. And she posts bail in May of 2007. She goes back to the police department after posting bail. She's like, I'm not done. And she claims that she is being framed. Yeah, which it's just a very weird case because the lead investigator when he listens to her story he like believes it like he buys it entirely he's like oh like it doesn't sound rehearsed like she doesn't answer every question like rushed or anything like she completely thinks about them but not so much that like it sounds like she's making it up it just sounds like she's trying to answer honestly which is super weird to me because I'm like but you guys also thought that about Jameer so like I don't... Who do you want the killer to yeah. be at this point? How do you want them to act, really? Yeah, like, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, I, who do you think would fit the profile of this killer? Because you're acting like, oh, well, she's sweet, so it's not her. Yeah, I just <laughs> don't think they have any clear idea. So when she does come in really calm, they're like, oh, this is weird. But in her allegations, she claims that... Jamira was harassing her at work and basically threatened her kids. To- yeah, he basically said, like, either you have to kill her or I'll kill your kids. Yeah. Which it's like, if that were the case, wouldn't she just, like, call the police? Because, like, 
if he's this crazy man who's like, hey, you have to go kill her or else I'm going to kill your kids, wouldn't you, like, not feel safe even after killing her? Like, you would still yeah. think your kids are in danger. So, like, I don't know why she wouldn't have notified the police because, like, a person who is genuinely afraid of their kid's safety wouldn't just feel like, oh, I just killed her. Everything's fine. Like, Yeah, and the detective even brings that up. He's like, okay, but nothing has changed. Why are you mm-hmm. coming in telling us all this if you are Like, suddenly so now scared. that you're caught, you have this story to tell us. It's just all very convenient for them. And she explains that Jameer was the one who went to Danita's um, apartment and killed her. And that he rushed back in the car touched the steering wheel, slid through the middle to the back, and, like, <laughs> hid when the maintenance man came in. And I'm like, and like girl. She's, like, saying that this grown-ass man is, like, <laughs> curled up in the back, and the maintenance man couldn't spot him. I'm like, okay, I don't even fit hiding in the back of a seat. Like, someone would see me. Yeah. And I'm much smaller than Jamira is. Like... <laughs> I mean, not by a lot, but like, <laughs> I don't know how big Jameer is, but he's a man. So I don't know. He's yeah. like a grown man. And I don't just picture him be, like disappearing into the back hiding. of the seats. Yeah. It's like not the simplest task. Also, after like slithering like a snake from the front pass, like, no. Yeah. He like just touched everything in sight and like went back. It doesn't. So weird. It doesn't add what a up. story, huh? But the investigators are like, okay, but we need some proof. And Shannon's like, bet. I'll get you some yeah, proof. Yeah, she's like, let me go call him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And what's weird is that the police allow it. They fully say, okay, yeah, go get your proof. Yeah, like, on her own, she's like, I'm going to go do this. But she, like, runs it by them, and they're like, cool. Yeah, no it's problem. fine. So they let her loose, and she buys this tape recorder and comes back with a bunch of recorded phone calls from who she claims is Jermere. I mean, but really, it's like just like a Muppet. Like it's it's a high pitched. Like you've got to listen to this. It is a high pitched. Like not. It's not Jameer. It's just not. So it's not him. Yeah, it's not. (laughs) But they investigate it further, and they're like, "Okay, thanks for the evidence." And the DA determines that it is, without a doubt, not Jameer's voice, and that he'd have to be really disguising it. Like, trying so hard. And you would hear the strain of him trying to not make yeah. his voice sound like And what's normal. even more weird is that they find out the call came from a payphone. So I can't imagine this grown man with a payphone, like, changing his voice in a high-pitched way. Not it's to just mention if he's smart weird. enough to be sketchy about a payphone and changing his voice. Wouldn't he just be like, hey, let's talk in person? Yeah. Like, he's a police officer. <laughs> he he's not some sort of idiot who just doesn't understand the, like, gravity of this situation. Yeah. He doesn't have to go through all this. He knows the system. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I think this next thing is, like, important to talk about. We're not going to go fully into depth no. about it. But while prepping for trial, Shannon comes to claim that um, Jameer sexually abused her in one specific event that she details. Um, But it's honestly not something that we want to get into, really, because we don't have enough information. And I don't want to, like, do a disservice to anybody involved. Um, The police and the people in court think that it is completely fabricated and that there is no evidence to state that it did or did not happen, which we know, obviously, in some sexual assault cases, yeah, there is no evidence, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. But anyways, as a whole, we're just not going to go into detail about it 
This is not to say that we side with the police or that we don't side with the police. Our stance here is just that it isn't our place to have a side. Um, If you're interested in learning more, by all means, look into it. But like I said, it just doesn't feel like our place. So we just like don't feel like we should. We have enough information information. on it. Yeah, like I'm just not going to speak to something that I don't know. Of course. They begin trial in February of 2010, and Shannon is offered a plea deal of 12 years. And Danita's mother, hearing all this, is so upset. She feels that Shannon should get more for what she did. And Shannon actually declines the offer. Which is so, so weird. Very Then she goes to court, and she takes the stand, which is also very weird. Like, it's... Not really something that happens a lot, and it's just not something that um, was probably a good idea in her case. Um, at her trial, her defense decides not to use the tape recordings, which is also she weird. worked this so hard to get those. So weird, like this girl yeah. went through <laughs> to get these recordings, and, and so then like the prosecutor ends up presenting them, which is crazy. But it's cool because they literally use it as proof that she's lying because the jurors literally heard Jameer's voice like right before. And so then when they hear the calls, they're like, oh, pfft. yeah, because they literally just heard this grown, grown man, With police officer, voice, like, and then hear this Muppet on the like, other line. <laughs> and they're like, wait, that's not him. <laughs> and the judge, or I believe it was the investigator, actually said it was the first time he heard the jurors like snickering and laughing at something in court. Yeah. And after a day, they reach a conclusion that Shannon is guilty of first degree murder and she gets life without parole. She tries to appeal this, but she exhausts all of them and they're like, no, you're still guilty. The judge still held Jameer accountable by saying that he did cause all of this to happen, but obviously like, he was not sentenced or punished because instigating is not a crime. Danita's dad says, I was thankful to God for the guilty verdict because I was glad that Danita didn't get murdered twice. Yeah, and her mom actually goes on to say, like, I guess at one point she had said, like, I hope that she rots in hell about Shannon. And her mom then goes on to say to Lester Holt that she forgives Shannon and when Lester's like, why? She's like, because it's like not my spot. Like I need, I'm a God-fearing woman and I need to do what I need to do to be in the right. So her family as a whole is just wonderful. Yeah. And they end up having uh, the school newspaper office named in her honor at her college um, so it just, it kind of speaks to how much of a hard worker she was, how much of an impact she made there and how loved she was. So the Danita M. Smith newsroom is there at the journalism department. <laughs> 